Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. On this program, anyone listening, sometimes part of that journey needs to be understanding ourselves and understanding others, understanding who we are, how we interact with one another. And this is where behavioral science comes in. My guest today, Jackie McCarthy, is a behavioral scientist and a serial entrepreneur, which I know a lot of you listeners out there will be pursuing entrepreneurship eventually as a path. And she has some interesting ideas about kind of understanding our behaviors. I think we're all familiar with at least one of the personality tests, whether it's the Myers-Briggs, the Big Five or stuff like that. But her idea is to measure this personality, measure our motivations to understand ourselves on multiple dimensions. Jackie, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining. And yeah, briefly. So first of all, what would you describe behavioral science to really mean if you were to explain it in a minute or two? Yeah. So behavioral science is just understanding how humans interact, right? Interact with themselves, interact with others, and more recently interacting with technology and then themselves within the technological platforms and then understanding themselves. Now you have these algorithms that are trying to understand the humans. It's just studying that and gathering data, like actual measurable data to determine, you know, how these people behave. So it's not just how people think, it's how people are going to behave, which I think is a lot of the algorithms. When I think about what you just said, the technology is trying to predict purchasing behavior, shopping behavior. Do you see technology being used to understand behavior, I don't want to say better, but deeper level about things that really matter beyond just what you're going to buy. On a, in a positive light, I think we are very much struggling with that. And hopefully we'll be seeing a new generation of entrepreneurs coming out and creating more ethical algorithms. But right now, a lot of the tension is how can we better understand consumers so we can sell them a bunch of shit they don't need? A few projects that I have taken on in the past, what we did is we really dove into trying to understand the human factor behind interacting with each other on platforms and how to optimize those connections between people. So, you know, hopefully seeing more of those entrepreneurs coming out will be seen in the next few years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was going to say, you see this as hope because we kind of live in an era of loneliness and some of the negative consequences of loneliness were very disconnected and people are turning to violence, drugs, suicide, all these terrible things because we need human connection. Do you see hope in people understanding human behavior on this level and then designing algorithms, as you were just mentioning, to help us make better connections with one another? Or do you see that as kind of barely treading water and not really making a difference right now? Wishful thinking? Well, it's going to be, it's going to depend, right? It's going to depend a lot on where investors are going to put their money. Is there, where is the return on ethical algorithms, right? So it's going to be a monetary return, not most likely a lot of the times, right? But in the case of WeGoTrips, which was a platform that we developed, you know, connecting random strangers to each other, but understanding like who they are so that when they do connect, their experiences are optimized. We had a way to monetize by booking travel, right? So it's going to be up to the entrepreneurs to be able to find those monetization strategies or up to the investors to invest into things that aren't necessarily going to return money, but will make the world a better place. And one place mine naturally goes is some wealthy philanthropy, things like the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation, where they're trying to solve, in their case, I think malaria is their biggest thing, but I know they also do a lot of other things. Do you see that as possibly a way that these social entrepreneurs will kind of get the funding to create the platforms that'll improve human connection? Or do you think that it requires that 
creativity like you're talking about with the booking travel? Now that you've mentioned something like that, yeah, that would be fantastic. But again, it goes back to the investor. Does the investor see and care enough about this problem? I mean, technology connected us all, right? But it disconnected all the humans at the same time. So when and where and how will we put enough attention onto you know this matter for it to matter enough for people to put their money into it, even though there's no return? Maybe this is a hopeful fantasy in one way that all these wealthy early investors in Facebook and these other platforms that have now come to the realization that these platforms have disconnected us will donate some of their money to these entrepreneurs to try to make things right. But that's just, like I said, hopeful fantasy. Amazing and yeah, hopeful fantasy. But it's like, where are the people who's who's raising their hand to say, "Yeah, I was a part of this problem and I want to fix it," right? And here, I'm willing to write a check and invest into solving this problem, even though like someone creating something or a plugin, right, to go into Facebook. Then what does Facebook pay for this to make it more ethical? Like, yeah, as the only example I can think of is Tristan Harris and the Center for Humane Technology. But his focus is less on reestablishing the connections and more on making the technology itself less harmful, which is also, I think, really important part of the entire process, given that these platforms are not going away. They're not going to go away. No, it's our future. And it's eventually, you know, the metaverse and going into this whole virtual world. And I see my kids playing on those virtual worlds on their little tablets and stuff, and they're not nice to each other. <laughs> like, you know, when you have a fake identity and you're an avatar and you're not using your real name, you can be a bully to whoever you want to be, you know? So it's like, how do we meet this problem early on? And how do we, you know, bring this value to the table? How do we show humanity in a technological world? Yeah, it can be really stress-inducing. When I think about the metaverse, I get a little bit down about the idea that we've already gone so far down the rabbit hole and now we're going to like have these headsets on possibly 12 hours a day in some future world. That sounds depressing to me. If we're not already in one. Yeah, kind of. Anyway, on a happier note, I was going to ask you to talk a little bit about your dimensions of personality behavioral work as it pertains to all of us trying to understand ourselves and understand our social interactions. Yeah. So Frequency Coder was a project I took on and I've been working on for, I don't know, 11, 12 years now. I didn't know how to code, but then I ended up teaching myself how to code. So I was able to kind of like develop it or at least the, you know, beta version of it that where I want to get it to, it's like, okay, so now you have your personality profile and now we can put it into an AI and then this AI can take your information and take someone else's information and then input them both together and then see how you guys will interact and then recommend you both to each other. Right. I would love to get it to that point, but how a frequency coder measures you is unlike the Myers-Briggs and a lot of the other personality tests. We don't measure on introversion or extroversion. We measure on frequency. So frequency is the energy that you bring. So the energy I bring to you, the energy you bring to me, that's like number one. And then it's a perception, like, you know, who are the dreamers, who are the realists? Like, how do you perceive the world around you? Then you have your group role. So you have your leaders, your independents, your followers. If in a group setting, right, you don't want to have a group of 10 leaders in there that'll create a situation where a lot of people are butting heads, but you also don't want a bunch of followers in there because no one will know where to get things started. 
And then if you have a bunch of independent people who are like artists, you know, or just like solo people, no one's going to be talking to each other. So you want to have a good, healthy group with a leader or two, the followers, but they have to have the shared interest, right? And then a couple of independent people here who can help out with the creativity. And that's how you optimize that group relation. And then motivation, right? Like, how are you motivated? We have, you know, people who are motivated by authority. They have to be in charge. They're usually your officers or, you know, political leaders. Then you have people who are motivated by harmony and bringing peace into the world, bringing peace within their friends, making sure that, you know, the world is a good place and it's kind and it's calm. Then you have people like myself who are very impact oriented. Like we are here on a mission to create some kind of impact. And then you have your achievers, people who are motivated by achievement. They want to be recognized for how well they do. They're usually your CEOs, people who climb up the corporate ladder. Then people who are motivated by experience, those people are typically traveler types, right? They travel around the world, they go and see new plays, they meet new people, they do new things, they're constantly doing new, 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 new novelty seekers. And then you have people who are motivated by security. Like, I want to make sure my finances are in place, my family's taken care of, I want to know where I'm going to be tomorrow in five years, 10 years, like, you know, I have a good plan, I'm I'm going to follow it. And then once you take all those parts together, you end up with a personality type. Then we have the go-getters. And as you can imagine, the go-getters are typically motivated by either achievement or impact. Your alphas, they're people who need to be in charge. Your engineers, people who love to problem solve, they can be mixed with a bunch of different things, right? So they can be impact oriented or they can be achievement oriented or they could be security oriented. Then the hippies, they are the peace and love people. So obviously harmony. Crusaders, people who drive change and they're the ones who are out there, the activists, caregivers, people who take care, you know, harmony oriented. They tend to be the caretakers, the moms and dads of the group, right? The networkers, they're very high frequency people who know everybody. They collect people. Your artists, they're the independent types. They like to be by themselves. And then the adventurous, obviously, they're the experience seekers. So those are our personality traits and all the different parts that we input into it. So as you were going through that list, I heard parts of myself in several of the different personality types. I feel a part of myself on the impact, but also the adventurer and also like the networker. Are people usually a mixture of a few kinds or is it more common for people to really just be one on that list? So that's one of the things that's unique about frequency coder over like the Myers-Briggs, right? We don't just classify you under four. So you have a personality type. You're probably more likely a networker because you do like to collect people. You bring them onto your show, you talk, you meet, you go out there and you're constantly putting yourself in situations where you're meeting new people and putting them into your pocket. So you would score high for being a networker, but your, you know, your adventurous score might be the next score up. So you'll be able to see like which one is your highest score and then how far away the next one is from that. And then your motivation would be the experiences and even being able to vicariously have those experiences through the people that you bring in. Whenever I talk about myself in the Myers-Briggs, I'm like, I'm an ENFP and whatever 8% of the population is ENFP, you know, whatever percentage is, but not everyone else I know that's also an ENFP are necessarily going to be the same exact person. There's always going to be some differences in that. And so is this the way you kind of go about putting together the right combination of people Like if you think about what people you need to be around, 
for your best chance of a successful, happy, meaningful life, however you want to phrase it. Because that is one of the areas where we see a lot of pain in work is people either being in the wrong role or being around the wrong person. Is this the right way if you were to set up your ideal team of eight people to go after a certain problem? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I don't think legally you can do that, which is unfortunate because having a system like this, if you're wanting to take on a project, right? And the project is mental health. You want to get a certain type of personality type, but then you're going to need to mix that in with like the group role. Like you need your leaders, right? But how many leaders do you need to bring that kind of change? Okay. So those leaders, you're going to put them into a think tank to discuss all the possible outcomes, right? And you want the leaders, the people who are going to speak up, the people who are going to be loud, the people who are going to present the right points to argue that out, right? So once you have the plan in place, Then you just need to select a couple leaders, maybe out of that think tank, maybe from outside. Then you need to get the people who will follow that leader, but also care enough about that same thing to bring up areas that may be complicated, right? And then you need the frequency where you need to measure like in this kind of situation, do we need a lot of like high energy people to come in and do this who might get distracted? Or do we need a, you know, a more lower frequency, could go a little bit slower, but make sure it's done properly versus having a startup incubator accelerator. You're probably going to want more high frequency people, probably like one or two leaders in there, but leaders who know how to work with other leaders who know how to show them how to bring on other followers. So you need to have a bunch of different roles, but yeah, you can take that all with something like this and get those pieces. It's interesting putting these pieces together because I have so many questions on my mind about it. We have the people in our lives that make us feel good. We have our pleasant interactions. And then we have sometimes the interactions of what we need. The energy you need is different than the energy that your brain wants at that particular moment in time. I'm wondering how that factors into putting together the right group because you can't have it all be painful, but you also can't all just be like happy and then not get the friction, the pushback that you sometimes need to have your best chance of success. You're going to want less hippies. And then the harmony number needs to be somewhere in the middle, right? You don't want people who are extreme on the harmony because then they're just going to do whatever is necessary to make sure that there's not a lot of conflict in the you know, situation. But they're also not going to really like welcome a lot of disruption into what they're doing. So the harmony is going to be the most important thing. On the average group forming exercise, whether I'm hiring a team or whether I'm deciding on a group of people to eat dinner with or something, what do you think is the biggest mistake people make in putting together the right group for an event? Thinking that the same group can be the same group to do the other thing with, like who you want to work with to do something meaningful and impactful are not going to be the same people you want to go and enjoy your lunch with. We're not the same people you want to go on a three-month vacation. You need to understand like just because you're friends doesn't mean you're going to work well together. Definitely doesn't mean that you're going to travel well together. And that's probably the biggest mistake that people do is they just think, oh, I can make any relationship work within any kind of situation, any kind of environment. And that is very incorrect. In a balanced life, you should have three networks, a personal, a operational, and a strategic network. I think that's even a little bit of an oversimplification. But one of the things that I've done in the past is try exactly what you said, try to make everyone all three, like be friends with my coworkers and then talk to them about the meaning of life at three in the morning or something. 
I laugh because I very much relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes people were meant to only play a specific role in your life. And one of the questions I ask is that, is there certain settings where that is a little bit less crucial? Like I'm thinking about like, you're just going out to lunch and say you have a group of hippies and they're just all getting along that all like, yeah, I love peace, blah, blah, blah. Is that maybe possible mismatch because you're not varying up the motivations, you're not varying up the frequencies. Is it benign or is it sometimes harmful because of the way we kind of have our polarization and our clustering and people getting so entrained in one thought that they can't handle differences in opinion, differences in perspectives? It goes back to the multidimensional layering, right? So frequency coder for me was like a layer one of an onion. Another layer of the onion that I later worked on is this travel inventory called Travel Styles. Very unique name there. But Travel Styles is the name. The Travel Styles survey, it took into account things like the length of travel. Because people, depending on personality and depending on all these other new layers that were introduced how they interact with each other will vary based on the amount of time spent. So where you go to a 30 to one hour lunch with someone versus, you know, again, three months in Africa, it's going to be very different outcomes, how much energy someone brings in. Now that said, I did have a dinner once with someone. I tend to be very impact oriented and my go-getter is definitely high up there too but my alpha is not very high. This person's alpha was extremely high, you know, and they were more authority oriented than I was. And it was around the time, you know, the election and we had polar opposite views and our one hour dinner ended up in my sitting on the opposite side of the table because this person was going to lose their shit on me. And I'm very high frequency. This person's more low frequency, but their authority drive needed to, you know, try to bulldoze my energy, but I just decided to remove myself from the situation instead. So, you know, where these shorter periods of time spent with each other shouldn't matter. They still do. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And one thing I want to get the audience oriented on a little bit is this high versus low frequency, because I've heard this in a lot of different contexts. And I've heard even in some spiritual and mental health circles, the desire to raise your frequency. But it sounds like what you're talking about is just that they're two different modes that are equally valuable in just different contexts. Sure. So let's think of Bob Ross. He would be what I consider low frequency, right? He talks low and he talks about the mountains. And then you have someone like Brian Chesky, the founder of Airbnb. He speaks fast like I do, and he's very energetic and he's moving on stage and you know, Steve Jobs would be not all the way high frequency. Elon Musk would probably be somewhere in the middle. Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, bottom portion. But it's like, how much energy do you bring? Like when you are at a table, we'll go back to introversion and extroversion. Are the people who are extroverts, are they more energized? And are the people who are introverts completely drained? If so, you are high frequency. If it's the opposite, where the people who are very extroverted are like needing to get out of and away from you because they need energy and you're boring. But it's not necessarily that you're boring. It's just you're boring to that person because they need that energy, right? But then the introverts are very happy and content. You're a lower frequency. Some groups where there's always got to be something going on. I mean, the music has to be playing and it was like, we'll put on the radio, we'll put on a movie, and we'll also play a game at the same time. And other groups where they're together and they're perfectly fine with big 
gaps in the conversation even. And that's one of the things that took me forever to learn because the younger version of me used to actually assume that anytime I am with someone and there's a gap in the conversation, that's some sort of a failure on my part. Like this is going wrong and this person is going to want to run for the exit and not be around me because there's nothing happening. We're not playing a game. We're not watching anything and we're not conversing over anything. And it's so interesting to see that difference in expectations around different groups of people like that. Sometimes those people are just really happy in that there's a movie, it's called Up. It's a cartoon animation movie. You know, the the one with the guy with the balloons that flies his house out to the waterfall or whatever. He was low frequency and his his wife in that movie was super high frequency. She just chatted, 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 and he just listened. The broader interesting point is about just understanding, and this is a aspect of maturity that hopefully people get to at some point in life, understanding that people are different and not everyone's motivated by the same thing that you're motivated by and not everyone's repelled by the same thing that you're repelled by. Hey, and that is so hard. And that goes back to our conversation earlier. If you don't have the cones to interpret the color purple, you're going to have a hard time knowing what the color purple even looks like. So it's really hard. So you have to put yourself in a situation where you can understand it logically, even though you cannot experience it yourself. Hmm. So my question is, as we all have our own frequency, we have our different dimensions of motivation, travel in every single dimension. Is understanding yourself a prerequisite to understanding your interactions with others and understanding how others are going to interact with you? Or do they all move kind of in tandem as you get an understanding of it all at the same time? Oh my gosh, you have to understand yourself. You don't understand yourself, but you're always going to try to make everyone else happy and then pushing people away and not understanding why you're pushing them away or why people are taking advantage of you and not recognizing that you are only responsible for your happiness and your happiness alone and the experiences that you get out of those relationships. You cannot fix, adjust, change, modify anything for the other person other than just being true to who you are. And if that person likes you, then great. If not, it's none of your business. <laughs> Let yeah. it go. <laughs> it's going to happen. And that's something a lot of people struggle with. I think one of the forms of self-sabotage or imposter syndrome is the idea of being a people pleaser, someone that always needs to please everyone all the time. And I think it would help a lot of people listening who have issues with this, with always trying to please everyone to get this understanding that if someone's not pleased by you or someone doesn't like you, maybe it's just that this mismatch in frequency that you're talking about or that they need something other than what you're providing at this moment. Even that, it's you need someone who wants to be around your energy. It's not about you catering to someone else. They're not the prize. You're the fucking prize. Like who you are is a wonderful, amazing human being that has all these experiences and and personalities and motivations and frequencies. And you need to surround yourself by the people who want that energy, not the people who are going to make you feel bad or doubt yourself or question things. So I think learning more about yourself and loving that character that you are is first and foremost, the most important thing. And then everyone else, if they don't treat you the way that you treat yourself, of course, you're not going to accept that. Mm -hmm. So let's say someone's undergoing a process from very beginning, you're lost, you don't know like why you are where you are in life, all the things that I am trying to help with this program as well as some other initiatives. And you're on this journey to getting to where you really want to be. And that part of that journey is getting a better understanding of self. As you get a better understanding of self, is it inevitable that you're going to lose some people along the way, as I've read in many other places, because at some point, something about your understanding of yourself is going to shift 
it's like being pruned when you're great buying, you need to be pruned to grow, right? So getting rid of the pieces that are stunting your growth. At first it sucks, you know, and I think I wrote on my chorus somewhere about like these 23 stages that you go through in life. And it talks about each stage, you know, from detaching from your parents to detaching from these friends to self-discovery, just through this journey we all go through. But it's part of the process. And when you're open to the process, grow and you become, and you become whatever you want to become. There's no limitation to that, but who you are innately, that part never changes, but you can put in different codes, right? To give you new perspective and optimizations. But once you remove all the hard parts and grow through that pain, the freedom and the lightness and the growth that you take on, you start attracting other people at different levels that accept you and love you and then you just thrive so yeah it kind of sucks removing some of the people but the outcome at the end it's it's freedom and just bliss what would you say is a good motivator for someone who knows deep down inside they need to let go of something from their past they need to let go of a limiting belief or some sort of concept but they're just afraid to yeah the fear of the unknown is real right because we never know what's waiting for us on the other side i like to say you know what's scarier than jumping out of a plane never getting to experience the sensation and the freedom and the wind and all the things of jumping out of that plane and then landing and then knowing that it was life and you lived it yeah so the same way like jumping into the unknown in life as you kind of shed some things and embrace your true self is really scary but sometimes it's even scarier to imagine yourself say on your deathbed having never done that and having lived this lie your whole or live people pleasing being who someone else wants you to be for your entire life right people pleasing with no one at your bedside completely alone and it's just like you know those weren't your people there was no loyalty there's none of that and how are you going to expect to find people who are loyal when you're not even loyal to yourself who was it shakespeare to thine own self be true right and when you are true to yourself you don't accept the lies and the facades and the you know scams i've definitely gone through the journey the pruning the people thinking i was crazy there for a while because i had this vision and I was like, I'm going to leave my corporate job and I'm going to jump into this entrepreneurial world. And I did. And in the process, I met some of the most incredible people and had experiences I never would have had and freedoms just to truly authentically live. And the other thing too, is like, you know, when you're in an environment where the people you're like, Hey, I'm going to like do this. And they're like, Oh, well, that idea sucks or that'll never happen. Or no one will ever understand it. This people are anchors and they're just going to anchor you down. But, you know, when you go to other environments where people like who are like yourself and understand you, when you're telling them like, this is what I'm building, they're like, oh my God, that's incredible. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Like, what about this? And how can I help? And it's a different environment, completely different environment. And then you start thriving instead of just being anchored and like, oh, you're right. That is a stupid idea. I guess I'll just throw that idea into the trash and just continue doing whatever job I'm doing or whatever friends I'm doing and, you know, being taken advantage, advantage of and never living fully. Yeah. It's interesting because people are afraid to lose that, but they're not seeing what they're going to gain. And it actually reminds me of the event that we met at. The thing I love about startup week is that for that week of the year, you're not around the people that just sit around and complain about whatever the world's problems are. You're around the people that are doing something about it. And I got to be around all sorts of people that are doing far more than, than I'm doing even. 
toward creating this new world. And it was fantastic. So do you believe that everybody has the capacity to find something like that, say, that's more true to themselves, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be Startup Week or any of my other personal favorite events. Do you think everyone has the capacity to find that and to to find that group and find the people that are going to be at that right frequency and encouraging and, you know, thinking on the right vibe and stuff? I've not met a situation where someone, where there wouldn't be a path to that, right? An artist must do art, writer must write, a singer must sing, and a traveler must travel. Like in those situations, you'll always find people with that commonality. And when you go with, you know, your life's mission, your purpose, your cause, whatever drives you, you tend to find people who are similar to yourself on those same roads, whether it's art class or it's on the airplane or it's in a community on Facebook that's hopefully an ethical community. (laughs) And just with algorithms like Frequency Coder, being able to put those into existing platforms to optimize those to help you find those people would be phenomenal. That's a good segue. With Frequency Coders, what is your overall plan for this? Is this something you envision people finding the right co-workers, the right co-founders, finding the right social situation? Is this going to be kind of broad to anyone that's looking to connect with anyone for any reason? I mean, it could be definitely used to find a co-founder. It could be used to optimize a group. It could be used... How I envisioned it always was like, how can I make this? Because like human interaction on tech platforms has always been fascinating to me, right? It's like, all right, so here's a platform, here are people, but then like the people aren't really engaged. How can we like optimize the engagement, but not just any engagement, like how can we really bring them or connect them online and bring them together in the real world? Dating apps, even, you know, it's like you have all these people, but just because it was like a couple good dates, but then there was no long-term anything out of there. Like, how do we change this? That's what I've always saw frequency coder as. It's like that first layer of an onion of this, you know, we were describing earlier. It's like, if you think of a sphere, just an imaginary sphere that's in front of you and the frequency coder is the sphere. And then inside of the sphere are a bunch of people. And then depending on how close or distant they are in the sphere will determine what the compatibility with each other, work environment, dating, friendship, whatever the distance would determine how compatible they are, right? And then you add the next layer, which is the travel style, right? So that's either going to bring people in this larger sphere closer to each other or further away from each other because now you have different data points that are put in there. And if we add another layer, I don't know, maybe it's political, maybe it's interest, maybe it's you name it, that'll bring people closer to each other or further away from each other. But then it starts to understand, okay, so these people can travel together. These people can be married these people can date, these people can whatever, you know, you have this thing. So then it'll understand like, okay, so here's this space. And then where you lie in the space, you will be able to connect and just optimizing each one of those environments for you. Yeah. That makes perfect sense because, you know, a co-founder needs to have the traits that you lack in some capacity or another, you know, like if you're a big picture visionary person, you need the COO that's going to do the operations, that's going to get it done, right? The same thing with with dating. There's certain like, I think everyone has a story at one point in their lives when they tried dating essentially another version of themselves and it felt good for like two weeks and then fell apart in disaster. So there's another set of complementary traits you need in that, travel partners, even people to just be your friend or your something that a lot of people ignore, your strategic partners, which are the people that you turn to once a month 
and discuss, this is where I'm going with this. This is where I'm going with that. How does that factor out when, you know, from a different perspective? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even then, like with the marriage thing, it'd be fine to date someone who is like you, as long as you're okay with not seeing yourself very frequently. Right. So like, those are going to be more of your like two CEOs married to each other, but they have to have other like open-mindedness to that. So it's just bringing that all back around, but we don't have anything like that right now that is being implemented or used. And I think about the social dilemma and anything else of our experiences with social media. And the incentive is really just to get your eyes glued as much as possible to the screen. And it's interesting because the first attempt to use technology to do something other than that, I think, is the website slash app called Meetup, where you know it tries to actually bring people together for an actual in-person event. But it sounds like Meetup may have fallen short because it really is only one dimension, the activity, the physical activity, which I think serves a really good purpose. But you know, you're looking to go beyond that with frequency coders. Oh my gosh, yeah, way, way beyond that. But what's cool about frequency coders is you could plug it into a meetup.com, you can plug it into a Facebook, you can plug it into a Tinder. You know, Tinder doesn't have to be known for hookups. Like, you know, and that's like one thing because I am so aware when I had Tinder and I had it for like four years, like let's not tell anyone, but I was a four-year paying Tinder customer. But because I had an innate, like just understanding of this, I never had a bad date. I have met so many incredible people off that app. It was insane. Yeah, like it's just, I never understood it. I mean, I understood why, but I don't swipe on people because of the way they look. I swipe on like what words they use, like who they are, what pictures they take, like what is their worldview? And I could align that well with mine because I have that understanding. So, this awakening, this level of awareness. Now, it sounds like frequency coders is embedding it into the algorithm, but is it still important? that people develop that understanding, even with frequency coders, even with that, you know, AI capability, people still understand, okay, this is my energy and this is the kind of energy I need in these situations, or can people kind of forget about it and trust it all to the algorithm? You have to understand it very well. And that wasn't, you know, ever in my game plan of like teaching people. I mean, it's definitely something that could be done and it'd be great for people to understand. I have a lot of years in this. In a world, in a future world where people are wearing the glasses that are augmented, have the augmented reality, and maybe it's too dystopian, <laughs> but it's like, do you need to learn it? Or in a world of Neuralink, you know, do you need to learn it? Or this is more of a crutch, right? So I guess if you had the information right there, it's more of a crutch instead of like innately learning it. But yeah, to innately learn it with the optimal approach. Well, one of the things that's interesting is the idea of using it to train yourself. So a lot of times early in life as a teenager, you have way different things on your mind and you're not thinking about, okay, what kind of people do I need to surround myself with for success? Maybe a few people are, but I'd say that's definitely less than 2% of all people at the teenage age. So they could use something like this to over time learn it themselves because I think most people are not aware of frequency. They have this keen thing like, this person makes me feel good. So I'm going to hang out with this person more. And that's pretty much like the extent to what most people do without even realizing it, without even thinking about it on that level. Yeah. You know, that's, that's fascinating. I don't know. So I have two kids, teenagers, and I teach them all this stuff all the time. I don't think my son cares. Like he's just like, 
but he's also very motivated by like sensation. So if he feels good around people, if that's enjoyable, he prefers to be in those environments where my daughter is more like, you must prove yourself to me before I even accept you into my like world, right? Before you can breathe my air. So it's just like both of them have heard me speak about the stuff over and over and over again, but they don't always take my advice. I think it's a part of the where are you in life and do you want to understand more? It brings me back to thinking about that dinner conversation you were talking about earlier, because I've seen that version of that happen in a lot of places where one person comes in and they want to have a political debate and the other person, they just don't want to have a debate. They just want to have a different experience. Does people coming to this awareness of these frequencies, are they going to be more likely to understand, hey, wait, we want different things, or maybe I can switch up because this is the person I'm around? Yeah. I mean, that would be a perfect situation for that. Like understanding, like it's nothing to do with me. It's not because they don't like me. It's that they don't like the intensity of this conversation that goes against things that they believe and it makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a great thing to realize because I think we've all been on both sides of that particular equation. Yeah. But now you also have to understand if you're an activist, right? And you're having this conversation and someone else doesn't want to have it as an activist, you're going to be motivated by impact and you're going to be motivated like, Hey, this is a conversation we have to have regardless of how comfortable you are. So now as someone who is a hippie is going to say, I understand this is a situation and I understand that there's a problem, but I am Orient or I'm motivated by harmony. And this isn't a situation or an environment that I want to bring turbulence into, right? So then you have two different things, both who are going to think that they're right. But by understanding this, both of you understand that you are not responsible for the other person's emotion. So what you can do is you can walk away, or what you can do is you can continue the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just want to give my audience a chance to get some more information or try out the frequency coders. What would anyone listening that wants to learn more about how it was built or see how they can use it in their day-to-day lives, or even, you know, learn more of like your commentary, where would someone look? Do you have a a webpage you can share with everyone? I do. It's frequencycoder.com. And then if you email me at info at frequencycoder.com, I can get you access to the beta. Oh, nice. That's awesome. I think I'll be doing that myself after this discussion. And if anyone out there listening wants to, I think it's a great thing to do and it's a great thing to learn a little bit more about ourselves, a little bit more about how we interact with each other and a little bit more about I don't know, like maybe what we can do better to find the right people and interact with them the right way. Or just do better on platforms so that we can bring real, raw, and authentic connection into a world that no longer has it. Yep. And I certainly hope that happens as well. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes and sharing some of your insights about how we can really figure out who we are and who we want to be around and how to be more authentic in our connections we make with one another. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And thank you to everyone out there listening. And don't forget to stay tuned or tune in again to Actions Antidotes for more interesting discussions with people who are following their passions and have really interesting pursuits. 